Hi, hi. You're listening to the Corporate Cleanse podcast, where we talk about the pros and cons of corporate life and how I, a former fancy executive, hit full burnout and am now on a journey to explore how we all can maintain our sanity and sense of self, all while climbing the corporate ladder. I hope you enjoy listening along with me and know that everyone needs, occasionally, a corporate cleanse. first week of not working, I was like, I'm on a journey. (laughs) I've got to start my journey. Like I got to figure out who I am. I got to figure out what I like. I've got to just figure out what my journey is. And like, dear, sweet, naive Jen of four months ago. (laughs) And I had tried to at the encouragement of my therapist. Okay. My therapist was like, do you know what your values are? Um, no. (laughs) I had never crafted these. I was like, whoa, ma'am, I don't even know where to start. So she gave me so many prompts to be like, okay, you know, here's a couple ways to look at it. And I started to journal. I was like, okay, I'm going to journal my journey and what my values are. And you know how many half-finished journal entries I have to define my values? Like, God, isn't that the procrastinator's, like, like, remnant? When anthropologists look back at 2023 humans, they're going to look at these half journal entries that we all have. And they're going to be like, these, this is an artifact of humans that were caught somewhere in between hyperproductivity, self-improvement, procrastination, and avoidance. <laughs> we have so many half-finished journal entries, and I did to define my values. So trying to define my values and my goals and what I wanted out of life. I was like, too big, too big. Whoa, whoa, Jen. Like, I can't take that on. This is a problem for future Jen. I will figure it out later. So I decided to start smaller. And this week I was scrolling on Twitter, doom scrolling on Twitter. Lord, my screen time that first week of not working was like, it was like six and a half hours a day. Six and a half hours a day. I was like, someone help her. She needs help. I had replaced all of my Slack messages and email scrolling with Twitter, with toxic Twitter. It was terrible. But I came across this thread that said, know yourself in nine questions. You know, those like threaded tweets that are like one of 18. I was like, ma'am, I am on a six-inch phone screen, one inch from my face. I have bad eyes in general, but even more so being a tech girly and being just glued to my computer. I have developed moderate to severe ADHD from, you know, life and capitalism and hustle culture. But I did have time for the first one. I had time for one of one. I wasn't going to do the one of 18 thread, but I had time for one-on-one. And the one of one was... What does your ideal day look like? I was like, okay, that is a bite-sized piece of my journey that I can take on. So I tried it. I tried it. I was like, okay, what does my ideal day look like? And again, I was like one week off of work. So 
a lot of the things that I bullet pointed in my journal was like, nail a presentation, kill it at work, accomplish big things, helping others, solving problems. (laughs) This is where my mind went because these were my life highs. I don't think I understood how much I lost myself to corporate life until I did this exercise because it was my corporate company wins. That is what I thought of when I thought about my ideal day. I realized that these corporate company wins were the highest my highs got. Are you serious, Jen? The corporate highs were the highest your highs go? And I didn't have highs beyond that. I was alarmed. I am alarmed. I am alarmed that my highs were just my company wins. And I needed to kind of figure out how to separate my corporate wins and sort of the things that made me, that gave me dopamine in my corporate life from what actually made me happy deep down at my core. So I went on a little solo trip. Um, I used to do these a lot. I used to travel a lot when I worked at Adobe. I traveled so much, but I haven't over the last couple of years. And so I thought I would take a little solo trip for myself. And I don't know about a lot of you, but I am highly codependent. I am a codependent girly. I have to ask people what their opinions are. I have to. I have to ask people where they want to go to lunch I have to figure out, I have to ask people when they want to go to lunch. I, like forming my own opinion on when I want to eat lunch and how I want to live my life, like couldn't be me. <laughs> I have to ask. I have to get feedback from other people, reference points for other people. So I went on a solo trip for a week where I was at the mercy of myself. Like the stakes were high. My happiness was in my hands. I have to make my own decisions without any reference points, without asking anybody else when they wanted to eat lunch. And like, honestly, so I went to London and I ate a lot of walk to walk, which is like a, a, like a, it's like a takeout noodle place where you just kind of like walk up to this window and it's like really narrow and, and they just like stir fry noodles in front of you. I ate a lot of walk to walk. I ate a lot of walk to walk at random hours random hours, like 2 p.m., 11 p.m., 9 a.m., right? Because I was at the mercy of myself. I was like, when am I hungry? I guess I'm hungry now. I'm going to go get some noodles. Or like, what are you in the mood for? Noodles. I wanted noodles. I wanted stir-fry noodles. Um, so I spent a lot of time by myself figuring out what I wanted for myself, what I wanted to do with my time. And it was a lot of sitting quietly in coffee shops. It was a lot of exploring. It was a lot of reading in my hotel room. I used to feel badly about this. This is a tangent. But I used to go on solo trips a lot for work. And we'd go to really cool places like Amsterdam and Paris. And I always felt so guilty about not going out and exploring. But honestly, later in my career having one night where you're just sitting in your hotel and you order takeout, like some of my favorite moments in my life. So sometimes it's okay to drop the guilt. You don't have to always be exploring. Sometimes it's okay to just get takeout in your hotel room. Um, But anyway, I took the solo trip. 
And then kind of just mold this question over of what does my ideal day look like over the next two months? It took me two months to figure this out, LOL. Um, But this became a really life-changing practice for me. And it was this realization that my ideal day is actually very, very simple. That my ideal day... I can make for myself every day, regardless of my job. So if you're feeling a little bit lost and bamboozled by corporate life, not sure where to begin on your journey to rebuild yourself, because this can be a daunting question, right? It's like, who are you? What do you want? What are your values? What are your boundaries? These are really daunting questions. Um, But if you just aren't sure where to begin on your journey to find your sense of identity, to reframe your goals, and what you want out of life, this is a really great digestible place to start is what does your ideal day look like? So let's go through the aspects of an ideal day for me. Now, this isn't your ideal day. This doesn't have to be your ideal day. Like I'm looking at you, you little codependents. But hopefully you can get some inspiration for yourself as you craft what your ideal day looks like. Like you can use this as a jumping off point, but I really want you to go through this exercise of what does your ideal day look like? What does a day need to consist of for you to be like, that was a great day. I feel great. The day was wonderful. The day was full of possibilities and I feel great. What needs to happen? So when I created this list, I wrote it somewhere that I would see every single day. I have this sort of like master notion document that has just lists, lists upon lists, lists of lists. This is my master. I call it my life hub. It manages my life. Notion manages my life. And man, it really can't go down else I would just be fetal in the fetal position. But I wrote it down on this master life hub document so that I could see it every single day, this list of things that I wanted to fill my day with to feel good. All right, let's get into it. Number one, daily meditation. Now, if I didn't have a meditation practice and I was really stressed and somebody would tell me to meditate, my eyes would just roll up into the back of my head and stay there. Like for, for, for those of you, if somebody is just like, I'm really stressed and they're like, why don't you meditate? I know that can feel really, <laughs> that can feel really out of touch. I get it. I understand. But let me explain. Meditation has been game changing for me. It's been game changing for me. And, you know, you don't have to make it all woo woo, right? You don't have to have incense. You don't have to, like meditation can kind of look like whatever you want. This can be whatever brings you to the present moment to just sit in peace and presence. That London trip that I took, that solo trip, I went to a meditation studio and it was wonderful. It was so great. It was like a group class where you could go in, you'd walk into this little space. There was a little like shop. Then you would walk up the stairs and they would like have tea and there was all these comfy, cozy blankets and places to sit and then they would walk you into this room and this room would have like individual placemats pillows blankets and you would just get cozy while someone led you through breath work or meditation and it was so wonderful 
I got a little teary because I was like, wow, this is amazing. This place is amazing. So on my way out, I saw that they had like a little hourglass, like a really pretty aesthetic hourglass for 15 minutes. And they were like, okay, you use this to meditate for 15 minutes a day. When I first started using this, I could barely make one minute. Like I would just look at this hourglass and I'd be like, something's wrong. This is broken. I need to return it because it's broken. No way it's only been one minute. Meditating for 15 minutes, sitting still and breathing for 15 minutes is really, really hard. Um, so I had to practice a couple other things. I tend to like things that bring some embodiment, something that has to do with my body. We live so much of our lives kind of disassociated from our bodies, if you really think about it. It's like almost a pain to take care of our bodies, right? To like breathe with intention, to like, I don't know, take a deep breath, like in and out. That might be the first deep breath that any of us have taken all day today. I mean, it's mine because we just don't really think about breathing. It almost is like a pain to feed ourselves and like, you know, wash our faces at night. We live so disassociated from our body. So my meditation tends to be things to bring me present in my body. Yoga, breath work. I love it. I love it. I have found a lot of peace and meditation and presence in those things and yoga and breath work. And sometimes I can meditate, but again, I can't make it past five minutes because my brain is just spinning. Um, but essentially with meditation, what you are doing is you are creating space. You are creating more space for you. Let me tell you why this is important. So a typical day for me, let's say one morning I had woken up and I had tossed and turned all night. I was waking up every two hours because I had gotten the COVID booster and it affected my period and, and gave me like the heaviest period I've ever had in my life. Like just a crazy experience. But I was like up in the night managing that. Um, and then I had to wake up early in the morning. I had to put together an overnight bag because my daughter goes to dance an hour from where we live. And so we usually sleep over at my best friend's house who lives close to the studio. I had to pack my workout gear so that I could hopefully find time to get a workout in. I had to think through makeup, hair things. And then I went downstairs to make my daughter a bagel, only to not receive any acknowledgement or thank you from a very moody 14-year-old. <laughs> That's very common. I was also hauling presents downstairs for my best friend because we didn't get a chance to meet up around Christmas. And I think this was like February. It had been a while. Um, and all knowing that I needed to call the orthodontist to reschedule my daughter's appointment because we missed her appointment. And so I had to make that shameful call that I'm a terrible mom and I forgot and I need to reschedule. Mind you, this was like the fourth consecutive time I had to reschedule this orthodontist appointment. And on the way to school, my daughter said calmly, I mean, like a little snarkily, but pretty, pretty calm. Mom, you forgot my leotard in the dryer. And I lost it. I lost it. I, I just full on screamed at her for being irresponsible, for not thinking about her leotard, for just, just 
whatever. And I, I just blew up at her. I think we even had to pull over while we were driving because I just lost it because I had so little space for anything. I was filled to the brim with obligations, anger, impatience, tasks, guilt. And I'll tell you, it was enough for me to see those beautiful Utah mountains to the east and just want to drive into those mountains. (laughs) Never to be seen again. I was filled to the brim and I had no space. So meditation for me, in whatever way that looks like, has really been about preemptively creating space for what's to come in your life. If we are not actively creating space for life, life will continually bamboozle us and to cause us to absolutely lose it after a minor inconvenience. And I think I've had a lot of these moments where just something so small will just break me because I have no capacity. I have no space. I have not freed up my mind to handle the big inconveniences in life or the small inconveniences in life. And that is just kind of life. Life is going to throw stuff at you. And if you aren't proactively making space through some kind of mindfulness and meditation practice, you are too full to handle the things that are coming at you. So meditation has really given me space to gain new perspectives on stressful situations, right? It's really helped me think through and process stressful work situations, stress, stressful work dynamics, you know, hard relationships with, you know, friends and family, you know, hard situations with your kids, um, with your roommate. Meditation has also given me the ability to practice my skills at managing stress. To practice breathing through a stressful situation, to practice taking a beat before reacting to something. It's overall made me more self-aware. It makes me focus on the present instead of constantly thinking about what's ahead. Because that is my habit. That is what I do. I constantly am like, what's next? What's next on my list? And meditation has really helped me just stay present. It helps me regulate my complex swirl of emotions and negative thoughts that are just constantly swarming me. It gives me more patience and tolerance for that very moody 14-year-old. You know, Tina Fey had a funny snippet about raising teenage daughters, how, like, you think about them more than they think about you. And how you, like, go up to their room and you're like, so we're having dinner if you want to come down. And they're like, no. And you're like, oh, okay, <laughs> never mind. <laughs> but that's how it is living with a 14-year-old daughter. You're just like, handle with caution, handle with care. And you're just trying to mitigate. You're just trying to mitigate hormonal freakouts. That's what you're trying to do. And meditation has helped me create more room for her to be going through what she's going through. 14's hard, man. 14 is so hard for everyone. There's so much going on in their bodies and their minds, like just so much. And I needed to create more space for her. And it also has given me more room for empathy and kindness. 
Like, again, when you're filled to the brim with your problems and your anger, you really don't have room to have empathy for other people around you. And so meditation has helped me just free up more space in me, space in my mind, space in, space in my emotions, space to handle things in a more measured way. So whatever your practice is, start to think about what yours could be. Whatever creates more space for you, whether that's meditation, whether that's breath work, whether that's yoga, whether that's just walking, whether that's, you know, listening to a calm playlist, think about whatever creates more space for you so that you have more space for yourself and for others. Because we're all very complex human beings and there's going to be stuff that happens. There is. And you need to constantly be creating space to handle what comes at you. Okay, number two of my ideal day. I've talked about this before. I love group fitness. I do. I love it. I might as well wear a shirt that says group fitness. Ask me about it. That's all I want to talk about. My group fitness journey started after I had my, my daughter. And I, had, I was um, trying to lose some of the, the pregnancy weight. And my partner got me the We Fit. And it wasn't like a passive aggressive, like, here's a We Fit. Like, I wanted to get in shape. And this person gave me this We Fit out of, you know, love and encouragement. The first thing that that We Fit has you do is weigh yourself. Okay. The number that popped up. I, I truly deep in my bones was like, oh, it's broken. The Wii Fit is broken. I need to return it to Walmart. And I did. I did. Still to this day, I have not accepted that number that was given to me. And I returned it to Walmart. I did. And I never used that Wii Fit again. Um, but instead, I had a coworker at my first job who was into Zumba. And she invited me to a couple classes. And I was like, okay. I'll try Zumba. Sounds fun. Sounds like dancing. That sounds fun. And I got really into Zumba, which honestly, if you look at them, like if you're at the gym and you look into a Zumba class, they're all having a blast because it is a blast. It really is. I got really into Zumba. My group fitness journey has evolved since then. I got really into high fitness. I don't know for any of you who may not be from Utah, high fitness is a craze here. What is, what is the word for, like, physically viral? I guess just popular. <laughs> it's very popular. High fitness is very popular in, popular in Utah. Like, the following for high fitness, the cult around high fitness, it's extreme. I got really into spin. I got really into body combat, which is, like, kickboxing. I got really into hot yoga. I love them all. I do not discriminate. A lot of my mental energy is actually spent trying to figure out how to fit in all these group fitness classes because I just love it. I'm going to tell you a story. I love the community aspect of group fitness. I love that I'm getting fit, and I also love that I'm surrounded by other people that are trying to be healthy, trying to take care of their bodies. So I went to a high fitness class once, and one of the high fitness numbers is to Beyonce's song, Who Run the World, okay? One part of her lyric <laughs> says, Strong enough to bear the children and then get back to business. This hits me so hard that I cried. 
I cried in this group fitness class. I, I cried. I was surrounded by all these women that were just trying to be healthy and that were so amazing and so powerful. And I was like, we can, we can have children and run our businesses. Like, and I got really emotional about it. I, I, I got a little bit teary. That's how much group fitness hits me. It hits me hard in my core. So whatever yours is to, I don't know, move, to feel your body, to be grateful for your body. Maybe it's going for a walk. Maybe it's pickleball for you. Maybe it's not like full body action. Maybe it's crocheting or knitting. Maybe it's dancing. Maybe you just love to like put on a song and just dance in your kitchen. You know, whatever you do to prioritize your body and to move, do it. My favorite part of any fitness class is when they say something like, this next hour is just yours. I don't know why, like, but this really, again, hits me hard. Because this is your time to be selfish, to be completely self-absorbed in what you are doing and only worry about you. You know how rare that is? How rare that is, especially for a mother? I'm like, I cannot name more than five minutes of my day that isn't already allocated to somebody else, to somebody else's needs. So when somebody tells me this next hour is just for you, I'm like, this is just for me. And I'm going to soak it in. And I just love it. I love, I love this aspect. For those of us that are constantly carrying the weight of others, maybe those of us that are caretakers for family members, this can be such an important time to leave that behind for just a bit, for just an hour and only focus on you and what your needs are and what makes you feel good. Okay, number three, a quiet, cozy moment just for me. This has been, I've kind of just been in my cozy era. You know, probably not intentionally, but like when you're not working a corporate job, I think, I think I've been out of sweatpants maybe twice in the last four months. So coziness was kind of just thrust upon me in this era of my life. But I love it. Turns out, turns out, I love it. I love it. I had been wearing turtlenecks, trousers, loafers, and suddenly I can just wear sweatpants and slippers. I love it. I love it. So Part of my ideal day is a quiet, cozy moment that's just for me. Typically, this is either, you know, stretching, taking five minutes of stretching at night, or like really enjoying a cup of tea, or a cozy blanket, or cozy socks. Man, I am a 35-year-old woman, and this might be the first year I've invested in good socks. Okay, so if you haven't invested in good socks, and I'll tell you... (laughs) This happened at a, we, I was at a wedding with my partner and I had had some drinks and we got home to the hotel and he was like helping me take off my shoes and my socks. And I had like shitty, dingy Hanes socks. And he was like, how are you so put together, but your socks are so ratchet? And I was like, okay, fine. I'll upgrade my socks. So I finally upgraded to the TNA, the Aritzia TNA socks. Dude, if <laughs> If you need socks, let's say, okay, you, I'm not asking, if you don't need socks, don't go out and buy socks. But if you are in the market for socks, I cannot recommend these Aritzia TNA socks enough. They have, 
they have dramatically increased my life satisfaction. They are so cozy. I have the, like the high ankle ones. I put them on. I instantly feel cozier. I instantly feel held. Like these TNA socks are like, I see you. You are haggard. You're tired. I got you. I'm going to hold you. I love these socks. So a quiet, cozy moment just for me. And I find what this is teaching me is how to create moments of joy and moments of contentedness. Instead of instead of looking for them and having to manufacture them, can I find them myself just in my day? I'm reading a book called Your True Home, and it's um, by a Buddhist teacher and kind of goes through just like little snippets. Every page is just a little snippet. But the key to Buddhism, I'm finding out, is really to be able to create moments of joy and peace wherever you are, whenever you are. That like you are in control of your mental state, (laughs) which is like such a novel concept for me. I was like, what? I I can be calm. I can choose to be calm in my crazy chaotic life. But this quiet, cozy moment has helped me create more mindfulness, helped me find presence helped me almost kind of suck the happiness and joy out of every moment I can in my life, which like turns out is really powerful. And I I started to, you know, really crave this moment of just by myself, just a moment for me. And this was hard for me. This was hard for me for the first month. So what I did is I planted cozy and peaceful moments for myself. I planted them. Some examples, if you're having a hard time finding space for a quiet, cozy moment just for you, plant them. So I would plant my favorite calm playlist as soon as I got in the car after work. As soon as my shift ended, I would get in my car and I would listen to this playlist. That was a moment of calm and cozy for me. I had a candle out on the on the table every time I got home and I would light that and that would kind of signal the end of my work day and the beginning of my nice day, my actual day, my life day. It would signal it was okay to breathe. It was okay to be calm. It was okay to be cozy. It sounds really small, but don't underestimate a quiet, cozy moment just for you where you just lean into it, like lean into that cozy blanket, lean into petting your cat, lean into a cozy moment for yourself. Number four, when I am spiraling into shame and feeling just terrible, all I want to do is eat pasta in the dark alone and to see no one, to have no one see me, to have no one witness me, but we are human and connection feels good. It does. Even though there are days you don't want to, connection really does feel good. So my number, what did I just say? Number four is to share a meal or a connection with somebody. My ideal day almost always includes sharing a meal or a connection with somebody. I really like a meal, like a coffee, a lunch, a a breakfast, because it's bookended and predictable. So for those of us that maybe aren't extroverts and have a really quickly depleting social energy tank, 
meals are great because it's like I'm in and out and I know I can expect about an hour and a half or two hours or whatever meal it is. It's bookended. It's predictable. And you can say, okay, we're finished with our meal. My social tank is completely depleted. We're going to part ways. I usually feel better on a day that I have at least tried to connect with somebody. And not just like a quick business lunch where I'm talking to somebody about where really it's just a work meeting and I'm just sharing a meal with them. Like going to lunch with a coworker and actually asking that coworker about their life. I think so many of us rush through these connections, rush through these people that are placed in our lives through our company. And probably to this day, you don't even know what their kids' names are. You know, you see these humans for 40, 50 hours a week and you don't know anything about their lives. Taking some time to really connect with people, ask them about their lives, ask them about their troubles, their dreams, their family, their just their background always makes me feel better, always makes me go home and I'm like, wow, today was a well-rounded day. Today was a good a good day that I can sort of check off and say I feel good. And, you know, for those of you that can't and don't have time for a meal, this could also be, and is oftentimes for me, a phone call, a Zoom call, whatever, an Instagram DM, you know, just connect with somebody every single day. That's big for me. Number five. This is just kind of self-explanatory. A belly laugh, like a really deep belly laugh, like a not cute laugh. Like you don't look cute. You look crazy. But something is just making you just like your body is racking with laughter. I love a good belly laugh. I love it. And I always feel better on days that have that much levity and humor in them because life is funny. Life is funny. If you really take a step back, you're like, man, life is hilarious. Um, but finding humor, finding the humor in your life and having a really good belly laugh over something just so silly. I love it. That's got to be part of my ideal day. Again, I'm terrible with numbers. Two, three, four, five, six. This is number six. I'm going to write this down. Number six. so I don't lose my place. Number six, discover and learn something new. And this can be, this can be as big as booking a trip to Vietnam and exploring or as small as like, I don't know, learning a new word, (laughs) learning a new word that you can use every day. My days are significantly better if I discover something new or I learn something new. Now, part of this is really embracing the power of being bad at something. I'll give you an example from my personal life. My parents were the type of people that, they were just more passive people. They didn't do things. They didn't do big adventurous things. Um, And they waited. They waited their lives to do the things they wanted to do. They were like, okay, well, not not now. My mom always used to say, no, I want to I'm going to lose a little bit, bit of weight before we do this. Like, and they didn't practice being brave and trying new things, even though it's scary. Trying new things is always going to be scary. Always, always. And it's always going to feel a little bit bad to be bad at something, <laughs> to be really bad at something is a vulnerable place to put yourself in. You're like, man, I 
don't feel skilled or or good at this thing. But I find that it is a habit, an important one, that if you don't practice it, it will atrophy and you will stop doing the scary things, which end up being the fulfilling things in life. So learning and discovering something new for me also became practicing and embracing being bad at something. Practicing and embracing not knowing something. And this really is a beautiful part of the human experience. And again, it can atrophy. And when you are, let's say, a hyper-productive, successful, driven person, you're used to being the best at things. And it's, I think, even more especially important for you to practice being bad at things. Like when I started my pottery class, I was not good. I was not good at it. And I, I got frustrated. Like I remember I was trying to center my clay. I was hunched over and I sweat was dripping from my brow. Sweat was pooling because I was just so frustrated at not being good at this. And it took away from the experience because all I wanted to do was be good at something. So it is important for me in my day to be bad at something, to discover something new, to learn something new. Because it keeps me, it keeps me really hopeful. It helps me remind me, it helps remind me what it's, what it means to be alive. Which is to experience things that are unfamiliar and that are weird and that you're bad at and that you're going to look a little foolish trying. And that's part of life. That's, that's beautiful. Okay, number seven. Show or express care for something or someone. Showing or expressing care for someone or something. Um, This is often my cats. Every day, I have to show love and appreciation and express care and care for something. Because I feel good. I feel good when I do that. When I take care of my cats, I feel good. Like, honestly, like, when I die, I'm going to be like, I gave those two cats the best life that any cat has ever been given. (laughs) Better than the life I gave myself. And that is enough for me to feel fulfilled. But usually it's my cats. Sometimes it's my plants. Just caring for something. Just care for something. Most of you, you know, might have kids. Yeah, take care of your kids. That feels good too. But if you don't have kids, find something small. Have a fish. Have a plant. Have a cat. Have a neighbor that's lonely. It feels good to show and express care for someone or something. And then lastly, I added this one just a couple weeks ago. This was not on the original list, okay? I need to say that. This was a, an addendum. Fill my body with good things. And I'm going to give you some context here, okay? I am a trash person. I am. I'm a trash person. I was raised a latchkey kid. Okay, both my parents worked. I would let myself into the garage with the little keypad and then in the outdoor freezer. Remember that when those were a thing, when you had an outdoor freezer? We had an outdoor freezer and we also had an outdoor freezer fridge. That's that's what the state of my growing up. But we had one of those chest freezers where you had to like kind of open like a chest. And I ate and was completely sustained on bagel bites, taquitos, pizza rolls, and sugar. I'm a trash person. I am. 
I always joke that my husband has introduced me to so many wonderful things. My husband has so many hobbies, so many interests. He's taught me about drivetrains and cars, watches, like just, he just has interests, okay? We laugh that I've only introduced him to trash. <laughs> trash food, trash movies. <laughs> I'm not a natural health nut, I'm not. My, my husband is, he was raised in a household where his like special treat was a spoonful of peanut butter. That was his special treat. And I was like, my special treat? Four fun dips in a row, just like chain eaten. That was my special treat, just sugar, just so much sugar. I almost always want pizza rolls and Cheetos and like some weird random gummy candy. Like I come home sometimes with like bottle caps. We like look in the pantry and I'm like, does a four-year-old live here? Probably, it's me. I always want unhealthy stuff, but my days typically feel better when I feel, fill my body with good stuff with good stuff, not like super healthy stuff, but just good stuff, good whole foods, home-cooked foods, well-rounded meals, my day feels better. So those are my things. Those are my things. Um, let's see. Meditation, group fitness, a quiet, cozy moment just for me, sharing a meal or a connection with somebody, a belly laugh, discovering something new, Showing or expressing care with, for someone or something. And filling my body with good things. I do. I do. I do feel better when those things are done. And I could really have any profession and still make this happen, right? That's what I think was really freeing for me. It was like, once I've defined my ideal day, I know how I want to spend my time. I know how I want to spend my days. I know what makes me feel good when I go to bed at night. And I can say, that felt good. That was a good day. That was a good, fun day. So if you're feeling a little lost, a little stuck in your job, a little stuck in a rut, feeling like you have no idea what you're doing or what to do next, this is a really great first step, is just figuring out what your ideal day looks like. Figuring out your values, your goals, what you want can be really daunting. But just figuring out what needs to happen in a day to make you go to sleep at night and say, today was dope. With that feeling, that can be enough sometimes. You know, and I think, I think you'd be surprised at how simple we are as humans. Yes, we still want big things, but most days are filled with petting our pets, calling our best friend or our mom, moving our bodies in one way or another. It's really simple. I mean, remember, this is just for you. It can be as weird or as random as you want, right? Take some of this as a jumping off point, but I want you to create your own. What does your ideal day look like? Take out that dusty journal that you you haven't picked up in a year and a half, but it's still sitting there and it's got all these half-finished journal entries. And write down what your ideal day consists of. And again, it's just for you. Be weird. Be random. Your ideal day serves no one but you. It doesn't have to feed a higher purpose. It doesn't have to make you productive or skilled or honorable. Whatever your ideal day is just serves you. So try it, write it down, and let me know what your ideal day looks like. 
And, you know, if any of you want to do a spin class and then eat pizza rolls after, hit your girl up because I am down and I am ready and I will spin with you and then we'll eat pizza rolls and they will burn the roofs of our mouth because we'll be inhaling them so fast and they're boiling lava hot. Okay, that's all I have for you. See you next time.